Welcome to the Sheridan Global Podcast, Brilliance Realized. We have several series like The Future of Work, Conflict Resolution, Belonging and Inclusion, and this series, Generosity in the Workplace. Generosity at work is not about financial giving, rather giving valuable time, invested attention, and genuine collaboration. Join us as our guests explore the topics of gratitude, empathy, listening, mentoring, and coaching. I'm your host, Shannon Cassidy. Today, our guest is a very special friend and an extraordinarily impressive executive. Lisa Chang is the global chief people officer for the Coca-Cola company, overseeing the company's talent and people strategies, culture and diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts. In her role, which she has held since 2019, she's responsible for leading the company's global people strategy, aligned with the company's purpose of refreshing the world and making a difference. Lisa and her team are focused on creating an environment where employees can thrive and equips the organization to win. Lisa and her husband have three children, daughter Cleo and sons, Nathan and Parker. The family also has a furry little baby named Cooper. Lisa has been a close friend and someone I admire and respect for many years. Welcome to ROG, Lisa. Thank you for having me, Shannon. Uh, It's great to be connected and to get the opportunity to learn more from you. You're one of the most generous people I know in the most meaningful ways. You've always responded. You offer help. You give honest feedback. And I really just can't wait to learn more from you today. So let's start with your definition of generosity. Yeah. I think in the simplest terms to me, generosity is really about kindness. And it's about showing kindness and compassion. Obviously shows up in a lot of different ways, but for me, it's it's really the most simple thing that you know most of us learned when we were children. Mm, yeah, being kind, caring, making a difference. I mean, I think you're in the perfect organization for how you're wired, you know, an organization that's really committed to making the world a better place and refreshing the world and that you're so philanthropic. So I want to learn more about Coca-Cola. And why don't we start with the 5 by 20 initiative? I don't know that everyone has ever heard of the 5 by 20 and you just made a big announcement on International Women's Day. So help us understand a little bit about that global initiative. Yes. So several years ago, our chairman and CEO at the time, Mutar Kent, launched an initiative to empower 5 million women around the world by 2020. And that manifests itself in a lot of different ways for our organization. But primarily, it's about empowering women in places around the world where they don't have the tools and the resources available to create livelihoods. So a specific example would be I was in the Philippines a year and a half ago visiting some of our operations there. And I was able to meet a group of women that had been impacted and empowered by our 5 by 20 program. And what we offered to them was actually financial training, business training. We helped them seed money to start their own business. And these businesses were these little retail shops. So in the Philippines, there are little shanties, really, where they just sell food and beverage and, you know, aspirin, et cetera. But these are livelihoods and and businesses for people in the small villages of the Philippines. And so we taught them how to keep the books. We taught them how to keep inventory. We showed them how to use technology and marketing. And we actually helped them start these businesses. 
And so the women I was able to meet were women who had been in the program for some time, and they came back to share their stories of success. And in a couple of the cases, the women were able to say, you know, I did this not only for me, but for my family. And I wanted to show my children what was possible and how we could get out of the state of poverty that we were in. And in one case, one woman was in tears because she shared with me that as a result of her having her own business, she was able to afford to send her son off to school. And so we're empowering not only a group of women, but hopefully a future generation mm. of people through this livelihood. So that's an example of what happens through 5 by 20. Another example is there are actually businesses where in these parts of the countries in Africa and other places, these women will make handcrafts. They'll make little artifacts or handbags or other things that they're actually crafting with their hands. And we in turn help them get those distributed and sold. And so again, the whole point of the 5 by 20 was how do we infuse resources and tools to help people really stand on their own? Yeah. So as a result of 5 by 20, not only we were able to achieve the 5 million goal by 2020, we actually just shared that we had passed that, surpassed that by empowering 6 million, over 6 million women. Wow. Oh my gosh. You must be so proud of that. Incredible. One of the other initiatives I believe is the sustainability effort with the recycled materials. Is that right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that goes to the Coca-Cola commitment to sustainability and what's good for the planet and feeds into this five by 20 initiative. And I think it is a great example of when you put your mind to something and you set a goal, even if it's a huge goal, like this one was, you can exceed it because you get everybody focused and committed to it. Yes, for sure. And I think, you know, I know we're going to talk about generosity. What I would say is this is a perfect example of when you give something. So our organization was investing in these women and giving them little seeds to start their businesses and turn their lives around. You just see how quickly it proliferates and the joy that I think we received from seeing how happy they were and how prosperous they could become and the hope that was given to them by us just giving them an opportunity. Mm. Oh my gosh. What a great example of that reciprocity of how it works so cyclically and your intent was to support them. And then you get so much of that joy and satisfaction and excitement and hope really of what's possible. And then the ripple effect of that, as you were describing that one person who talked about what she can now do for her family, it just makes it exponential in benefits. So let's bring it back to day-to-day work, right? Here you are responsible for this huge organization as the global chief people officer for this iconic brand. What are some ways that you have witnessed generosity at work? Well, I think 2020 is a good place to start. What I saw happen, not only in our business, but a lot of businesses, but certainly with Coca-Cola is the generosity that people gave in terms of giving people space and grace for what we were all juggling. It's been literally a year to the day that we sent our employees away and said, you know, go work remotely. We'll let you know when it's safe to come back. And most of us have not been back in the building for 365 days. But during that period of time, what we saw was people's recognition of, wow, this person is homeschooling or they have small children that they're juggling or newborns or elder care or pets or whatever on top of trying to adjust to this new environment of working on top of 
health concerns and scares because people that they knew were experiencing COVID. And so from our perspective as a company, what we saw was people started reaching out to each other. The company started reaching out saying, how can we help? We started asking questions. What do you need? And there were simple things that happened like people just said, look, you know, I could really use a better chair. I'm trying to work at home and I don't have a home office. I'm working in my child's nursery and I'm sitting in a rocker or whatever. So we found ways to obviously give them equipment, monitors and chairs and other things to just make it a little bit better for them. But then you saw people reaching out in other ways to each other, you know, sharing childcare things. We have business resource groups like lots of companies do. And we have a parent resource group that all of a sudden became this place where it was flooded with, hey, what are you guys doing to keep these kids entertained while we're you know, on these calls? Like I've tried this and I've tried that. And you get all these resources of people saying, oh, you know, Nickelodeon has this, you know, string of help videos for kids at this time and this time and their story time at this time. And oh, I heard Disney has this and try that and try this. And one day I did a story hour with a couple of folks on my team who had young children just because the fatigue on their face. And as you know, I love children, but my three are fairly grown. So I said to a couple of these folks, I said, you know what, how about at five o'clock today, you and your partner and spouse go get a glass of wine. Let me have your kids, put them in front of the computer and I'll read them a couple stories, you know, 30 minutes, 45 minutes. Let's see what happens. It was so fun. I had the best time. The kids were like bouncing off the walls and I became very grateful that my kids were not of that age anymore. But, you know, just being able to kind of say, hey, let me help you out. But it was happening over and over again with people just finding ways to help each other. Yeah. I think, again, what 2020 did, you know, don't let a good crisis go to waste Mm is we all started to recognize just how vulnerable we all are as humans. You know, on the outside, it looks like we have it all put together. But on the inside, we're all dealing with the same struggles. And it was definitely the great reset where we all sort of kind of low level playing field. Yes. Oh, my gosh. I love that example. And that's so Lisa of you to do that. <laughs> and it, and back to that reciprocity. I mean, how did that make you feel as the storyteller? It made you feel grateful that your children aren't toddlers. But what else did it make you feel? I felt great. I got as much joy out of it as hopefully the kids did by seeing their smiling faces and just recognizing that to them, my kids are obviously not interested in hearing me read stories anymore, but to them, it was this new person who was giving them time and attention and it was different. And they were just giddy excited and they were jumping all over the place. And we had a little dance party and I came away from that just being like, okay, I was, I was texting the moms. I'm like, okay, when can we do this again? Yeah. Every <laughs> Friday? Like, Anytime. <laughs> but you just get that feeling of just, you know, you, you'll hear me say it, but I mean, giving is, it just is such a warm feeling because of not what you give, but what you receive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's what you receive and you're not giving so that you can receive. But the beautiful thing about the way that this works is that you do, you get so much in return for this generosity of spirit. For you, you recognize a need. I mean, that's one of the things I admire most about you, Lisa, is that you recognize how people are feeling and you don't just say, gosh, they must be Zoom exhausted or, you know, write it off as like, oh yeah, everybody's tired from the pandemic. You take it a step further to be curious about, well, how are they feeling and what could I do? I mean, I can't change the fact that we're all working from home, but I could give them a break 
<laughs> and, yeah. you know, and, and that collaboration too is something that you're a fan of and a supporter of. So tell me about how you create a culture. One of the things you're responsible for is the culture. How do you create a culture where people support each other and help each other? Well, I think it does go back to leveling the playing field and, and making sure that people understand that we all have a story. And one of the things that, again, what we've learned during this time is it's gotten really personal through the Zoom calls and the video calls where we're literally entering into people's homes and their lives. And we're seeing kind of the day-to-day things that we all have to deal with. And what we've tried to do, again, is ask people to think about what's happening in the other's lives. And the most important thing that we asked for, take into consideration what that person might be going through, you know, what they're trying to juggle and, and create that environment where you're putting yourself in somebody's shoes and have empathy for that, to be able to lead through that, to work through it, to collaborate. And that in and of itself, I think, created an environment where people, for the first time, really, on an ongoing basis, you hear people sort of offering people outs, like, hey, listen, if you can't do that call at four, because I know little Johnny has a soccer game, no problem. We'll have the call. We'll get back to you. I mean, if you think back a year ago into the office, many of us, and you were working mom too, how many times have we sat there tapping our feet going, oh God, I hope this meeting doesn't run late because I'm going to miss, you know, Ryan's game. If I don't get out of here in 10 minutes, I'm missing it, you know? And yes. But, you know, how many times then would you or I have stood up in the meeting and said, got to go, folks, bye. I mean, we wouldn't have done it because we weren't comfortable doing it. It wasn't accepted or received. Today, it's much more accepted because of what we've all been through and the recognition. Like if I was on a call with you and I said, hey, Shannon, listen, I've got a hard stop at 430 because I got to go pick up Parker. You'd be like, hey, awesome. Great. That's cool. So I think those are some of the things that we learned through this. And the the creation of that was just asking people to put themselves in someone's shoes. And what happened through this pandemic is every single person experienced it. So it's not like the old days of only working moms and working parents could relate to what we were going through. Every single person, whether you were single, you were married, you were black, you were white, you were Asian, you were young, you were old. We all experienced it. Yeah you were American or not. I mean, that's the other thing is it's global. So it's like such a, it's a unifier. The circumstance is nothing anybody would ever want, but the opportunity, like when you just said, like never waste a good crisis or a good pandemic, it's like, how can we be better because of this? How can we be more empathic and more kind and mm-hmm. generous really? I mean, and I love the way you're talking about how team members would give each other grace and space and, would step in and offer to support yep. if they didn't have those same demands or this even the same reaction. Some of us were struggling more from mental challenges related to this, that it took a toll on how people felt and it increased some people's anxiety. So for you to say that we operated like a team and we really found a way to be stronger because of it, I mean, that's a win. Indeed. Yeah. Another thing that I recognize about you and really appreciate is how willing you are to recognize people for reasons why you're grateful or if somebody does a great job, you're also willing to give people constructive feedback. So it's not just all the warm and fuzzies, but it's that because you're aware of what's going on, you then 
do something about it. You know, you say something about it. So talk to me about recognition and appreciation. I think I have been the beneficiary of some great leaders and some great mentors as I was coming up through as a professional. And one of the things that stood out to me about those leaders that I admired the most were the people who took time to coach, to mentor me, to thank me, to give me hard feedback. I remember one of the most difficult conversations I ever had was with one of my bosses who, no surprises here, but you know, I was a a typical sort of overachiever, working mom, balancing, I can do it all, conquer the world. I just had a new baby. I was coming back to work. I was on three boards. I, you know, I was doing it all and I was kicking butt and taking names, but I wasn't. There were clearly some missteps in terms of the way things were being delivered in, in the way that my boss at the time felt I was capable of. And so she sat down with me and she said, look, you are great. You're great at this and you're great at that and you're great at this, but you can't be great at all those things at all the same time. And I remember being completely devastated. Just, I mean, again, as super achievers were like, how in the world? I just thought, this is it. I can't do it. I give up, whatever. But, you know, I really internalized that. She took time to talk me through it and said, look, this is not a derailer. This is just a wake up call. Mm -hmm. You've got a lot going on and you need to prioritize because guess what? You're human. And humans cannot feasibly do all the things that you're trying to do at the same time. And yes. it's okay for you to say, I can't do this today. I got to do that, whatever. So throughout my career, I've had people who've been willing to invest time and give me feedback, both constructive feedback, as well as positive. One of the things that I do to this day, even though it is antiquated in this digital age, is I do handwritten notes. And I personally have received some lovely notes over my time in my career, and I still have all of them. And so I just started that. I, I modeled that behavior. I still do it today. I know it's kind of cheesy. I love stationery, so it's a great excuse for me to go buy stationery. But secondary to that is just, it's simple. It's congratulations on your anniversary with the company, or you know what, great job on that presentation. I know it's the first time that you presented to the leader team, but I thought you did a great job. Mm. Or, you know, thanks for contributing to that project. You know, I heard such great things about you, blah, blah, blah. Simple takes me no time at all. Yeah. And the number of reach outs and calls and messages I've gotten from people who've received those messages who have just had the same reaction I had, which is, oh my gosh, I can't believe she took time to handwrite me a note. Little Mm -hmm. me, right? I remember thinking that with some of the notes I would get oh my gosh, this is written by the CEO of the company. Oh my gosh, you know. And my most favorite story actually happened fairly recently since I've been at Coke is I did write a note to one of our leaders that had been with the company for over 30 years. And she was celebrating a pretty milestone anniversary, which is incredible. Yes. And so I just wrote her my note and I said, gosh, you know, congratulations. What amazing accomplishment to be with our company for 30 years and so much that you've contributed and learned and we're grateful and thankful. And I hope you'll take time to celebrate your accomplishments, blah, blah, blah. So she calls me and she says, in my 30 plus years at this company, I have never received a handwritten note from anyone, Mm -hmm. much less the head of HR of someone who is new to the company. Mm. And that Shannon, I tell you, Again, I don't do it because I'm expecting them to call me or give me kudos for it. I do it because I felt great when I got those notes. 
Mm -hmm. And I do it because it's just something very small that can help people pause and reflect on, you know what, I'm appreciated. Mm -hmm. And we all sort of know that although in the Maslow's hierarchy, there are lots of things that we need, that self-actualization is really important. Yes. Yeah. And that sense of belonging is even lower down the list in terms of essential needs. And you're reminding these individuals, they belong, they're appreciated. We're glad you're here. We're so grateful you've invested 30 years of your career with us. It matters. You matter. And what I love about this example, Lisa, is that it's the little things. You know, so very often when we think about being generous, we think about financial giving and philanthropy and ways of helping people in need is really important. When we're talking about generosity at work and generous leadership, we're talking about these things, these little, they seem little, but they're huge. Right. Somebody will stay loyal to an organization because of a leader like the one you had and like you who take a minute and thank someone sincerely. And I think that because we're in a time where there's so much demand on our time and there's so many creative ways for people and things to capture our time and attention, to take a minute and actually put a pen to a piece of beautiful stationery and write out your thoughts and put a stamp on it and put it in the mailbox. (laughs) You know, like you said, it seems so old fashioned, but it's, it's a lost art. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a good reminder to those who have done that in the past and maybe want to revisit that habit, or maybe you haven't ever done something like that, but to give it a shot and see the kind of reaction you get. My children, even as old as they are, I still make them do the handwritten thank you notes for birthday gifts or even to their grandparents. And the number of eye rolls I've received of like, really, I just saw them and I have to write them a note. And it's like, yes, you need to write them a note. You do. But But it's paying off, I will tell you, because I think, you know, now that my daughter's grown and out working on her own, she's developed sort of this habit of it's important to say thank you, especially Mm -hmm. to people who've helped you. Yes, I do the same thing. And I know exactly what you mean. It's a really important way to express yourself and a great habit to build. And look, we don't always get a report card as a parent, but if you're seeing your daughter writing thank you notes, that's an A plus. Indeed. Indeed. (laughs) (laughs) So other ways that you are seeing generosity at work, you brought up the willingness that someone gave you feedback and told you, you don't have to do everything. You don't have to be perfect at everything. You know, she gave you a break. She gave you actually like a lens on how she sees reality or how she sees balance or integration of all of these elements of our lives, how we integrate them. And so some people have been generous with their time and their willingness to coach and mentor. I know that's something else that you deeply believe in. So just talk to us about the role of mentoring in your life. Yeah. So critically important. And again, been the beneficiary of a lot of great mentors, both men and women. The thing that I learned the most out of that is really psychological safety. Just having a place where someone can listen to what I'm going through and can give me advice without judgment, really, because it's sometimes as a boss, you kind of say, oh yeah, come to me, let's talk about it. But we all know that, you know, there's this fear of showing weakness to your boss, right? So having a mentor, and for me, when I was the mentee, as when I'm the mentor, it's always been sort of this space where we try to create a safe environment, say, let's talk about the struggles that you're having. And the greatest benefit is being able to, again, show that empathy of, 
yep, been there, done that. I remember when that happened to me. I remember the first time I heard that, or, you know, I just had a conversation with somebody yesterday about a job transition as well. And, you know, I shared my own story about job transitions and they were like, I had no idea that you went through that. And I said, you know, we all do and it's okay. So I think that psychological safety is extremely important and it's creating an environment, not psychological safety is different than protecting somebody at all costs, right? So sometimes I think people feel like, oh, you know, that person is always going to have their back no matter what they do, good, bad, or indifferent. I mean, I think psychological safety is knowing, as you said, if someone wants to give critical feedback and it's difficult and hard, they have to know that the reason I'm giving that, that feedback is to help them. It's the intent is a positive intent. It's not a, I want to try to bring you down, right? Mm -hmm. So the difference between that. And so those environments, I think, are what are most important about a mentoring and mentee relationship. I've had a couple of situations recently, too, where as a mentor, I've just listened. Just talk to me and tell me, how are you feeling? What's going on? How did that make you feel? I got a note from one of my folks the other day that just said, here was a challenge that we were dealing with. She came back and she said, I just wanted to know, here's how it played out. And you know what? Literally after you and I got off the phone together and it was a tearful meeting. I mean, she was very stressed about a, a thing that had happened with one of her employees and was really very torn by it and beating herself up about it. And so we just talked through it. I listened, I gave her perspective. I said, look, you know, here's some things to think about, but don't be so hard on yourself. Think about it from this perspective. Mm -hmm. She said, and, you know, this sounds self-serving, but she said, literally, after I got off the phone with you, it was like the clouds parted and I knew exactly what I needed to do. Mm -hmm. And I picked up the phone and I called her and we had this conversation and it went great. And here's where we're moving from here. Mm -hmm. And so, again, not to say that I have that magic wand at all times, but I think just being able to have a safe environment where she could be vulnerable, she could talk about it, she could cry about it, and she could come back and say, you know what, I have clarity of mind now about what I need to do. Because sometimes you just got to get it out. Yes. Just be heard, be understood. And for her to hear your reaction to it, to give her an alternative perspective or to look at it maybe from a different angle. And when you talked about the psychological safety of just being heard and listening, you gave her that gift of listening. You weren't necessarily trying to solve her problem. You right. were really available and you yeah. dropped everything. It wasn't like you were multitasking her and you were listening to her while you were filling out a spreadsheet. You were engaged and engaged. attentive yeah. and curious. And she solved her own problem. I mean, that's the truth. Yes. I didn't solve it for her because I didn't actually know enough to solve it. But mm -hmm. like by putting a couple of questions in there and just listening to her and letting her, as I said, get it out on the table and have a good cry about it and focus on where she thought she did something wrong versus where she could adjust the course, mm -hmm. it became really clear to her what she needed to do next. And so, again, I had nothing to do with the outcome of that. But again, in that environment, it is just having that safe space. Yeah. And how often that's the case. That is very often the case for us as leaders. And I hope something that people are really zeroing in on as you're saying this, because very often I think there's a myth that the leaders have to have the answer, that people come to you with their problems and then you're going to solve them or you're going to tell them what to do. But in this example, what was most beneficial to her was for you to listen and give her that emotional safety of knowing that it's okay it sounds like it was a setback or something she regrets doing or yep. maybe even a failure, but it's okay. 
she could express it, got it out, work through it. And you said, great, good. Congratulations. You know, you, you get that again, that reciprocity of that joy of knowing that she's in good hands and that she's on her way, but you didn't have to solve the problem. That's a really important thing for us to get out of your example. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So is that something that you're intentional about as a leader and as really a culture carrier at Coca-Cola to create environments where failure is okay and that people are met with empathy or understanding when things go wrong? We definitely are on a journey for that. I mean, Coca-Cola has been through a pretty significant organizational transformation in the last half of the year, as well as culture transformation. We're, you know, 135 years old this year. So we've been around for a minute and we have a lot of deep-seated cultural attributes, not bad attributes, but just different, you know, and I think moving from an environment where we were probably a bit more command and control, very traditional hierarchical company to one that is moving more to collaboration, working in a network, bringing levels down and having people work together, regardless of if they sit in different regions or different functions or different levels. So all of that takes time and transition. And one of the things that old traditional organizations have is this sort of fear of making a mistake, right? And I would say it's no surprise that Coca-Cola has been a conservative company when it comes to doing things and making, quote, mistakes. You probably have one of the largest things that was considered a mistake at the time, which was the launch of New Coke. And back then, it was seen as a huge failure that we would tinker with a recipe like the one that we had. Mm -hmm. But looking forward, that's how innovation happens. Had we not tinkered with it, we wouldn't have gotten to Diet Coke or Coke Zero or Cherry Coke or whatever. So I think we are trying to get our organization to get quicker about understanding that failure isn't bad. I've been working with a couple of other folks that have talked about the different types of failure, right? So there's the failure that you just shouldn't do because you've made the mistake so many times. Mm. It's like at some point, if you keep running into the wall and you don't adjust your course, then shame on you because you're not learning from it, right? Mm-hmm. And then there's the, the failure that you just didn't know. You didn't know that that was going to happen, right? There's nothing you could have done to predict that that could have happened. And that's a kind of failure that you really have to kind of step back and say, okay, what would I do differently, right? Mm-hmm. That's kind of the broader one. And then there's the, the calculated risk failure, which is you weigh your options, You know, there's a probability that you could be successful, but you also know there's a probability you could fail and you have to take the risk to say, you know, which is the greater of the two? Do we go for it? Do we not go for it? And so I think all failures not created equal. And as an organization, what we're trying to do is create a safe space for that. You know, if somebody keeps doing running into the wall after we've told them six times the wall's there, that's probably not going to sustain a long time. Right. One of the other two you know, we have to pick ourselves up and figure out what we do with that failure. You know, the whole adage, um, use your gravestones as your stepping stones. I mean, if you fall down, get back up and step on that stone and go to the next level, but you got to learn from it. So we have a ways to go for that, for sure. But I think that is one of the most successful attributes of entrepreneurial growth companies is learning from our failures and our mistakes and fail fast and move forward. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you for that transparency and understanding about where you're at, because I think it is an opportunity to grow. It's it's a subject matter to study. Not all mistakes are created equal. I like how you said that because it's true. And if we're not encouraging some level of risk, then we're never going to grow. Right. For the individuals who we are responsible to as leaders, it's it's for the products, it's for our customers. Like, how are we continually innovating and pushing it? in a smart strategic way, knowing that that could actually be a failure. But like you said, you're doing that analysis to say it's, it's worth the risk because there's this reward or because it's essential or because our customers are telling us we have to do this. So we're going to figure it out. Uh, So it's, it's helpful to look at mistakes in a more academic sense of it's not just like good or bad. It's like, it depends on the situation. Right. Yeah. That's really important. So I know that you don't give to get, you in particular don't give to get, but as we've been saying, there are so many rewards. What would you say are some of the returns on generosity for colleagues, for for the workplace? When leaders are behaving in generous ways, like you've described, where they're coaching, they're mentoring, they're involved in employee resource groups, what would you say is the the payoff? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think the first payoff is the feeling that you get when someone that you have given to is successful. Again, not that they come back and thank you for it, but you see that you might've had a small part in helping with that success. That's obviously one. I think the other is crazy as it sounds, it's empowerment. It's many times when I am able to give to people on my team and I give them either time or I give them the space to do something or the opportunity or whatever, and they hit it out of the park, their recognition from my part is, oh my gosh, I have people on my team that can actually do X, Y, and Z, and that's less work for me. And I don't personally have to do the spreadsheet or the presentation or the deck or whatever, but you get this sense of empowerment of, oh my gosh, this is what leaders do. I like, we're not, so we're the leaders. We're not supposed to be the actual doers, right? You don't really want me doing the multiple aggressions anymore. I mean, in my early days, I knew how to do that, but I don't know how to do it anymore. So we need people that can do that. But if we don't give them the opportunity and the space to do it, and we're constantly, you know, on top of them, it doesn't help them grow. And then it doesn't help us grow, right? Mm -hmm. That's the biggest thing that I've learned as a leader is, and that was one of my kind of development areas in my early days is delegation, right? Those of us that are type A, we don't like to delegate too much because Mm -hmm. we can do it a lot better. Right. But that, the gift that you receive is this recognition of, wow, that's my measure of success is that I now have a capable, high-performing team that can actually do the work. And oh my gosh, doesn't that feel great for me? Yes. It feels great for me. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. A really personal example of that, Shannon, is that my mother recently went through breast cancer surgery, was diagnosed with stage two breast cancer, which was incredibly difficult on top of it being during a pandemic we had just craziness going on at work with a complete restructure and a lot of things going on at the time. And I needed to step away to take care of her and to help her with the surgery. And I moved in with her for a few weeks and really tried to just be there for her. And again, type A, I was, no, I can do this. I'll be available. Got to get her to the hospital, but then when we can get home, I can do calls. And the team just said, no, Lisa, Mm -hmm. we got this. We got this. We know what needs to get done. We got it. Yeah. Go focus on her. Focus on your priority. 
yeah. Was there a part of me that was like, I don't know. I don't know, guys. I mean, I'll be here. I can double check your work. You know what? They did a fantastic job, as would be expected. But the peace of mind that I had that I could literally just be with her and not have to focus on the delivery of the work, they all they all jumped in and they all said, we got this. And yeah. they, I know we're talking amongst each other saying, don't call her, don't email her, give her the space. Yeah. And that was a gift. That was a gift for me. Because wow. the gift that I needed was permission to have time to be with my mom and to take mm-hmm. what was important at the time. And that to me was just a perfect example of yes. the team giving back to me. Yeah. Doing what we were just acknowledging you do is that you recognize what's going on for someone. You're curious about how you can help. You're willing to jump in and help. And they were bold enough to give you the permission and to really encourage you. I'm sure they probably had to say it more than once or twice to really help you feel secure, to know that everything's going to be okay. Put your focus on your mom. And she just got her second COVID shot today. So we're celebrating her. So yay. (laughs) Yes. We're hopeful. Yes, absolutely. And I mean, that... It's so important for us to work in an environment where people actually care about us as a person. You know, they care about our family, they care about our priorities, our values, they honor us. They res- and we don't always agree on everything, but we respect each other and we we give each other space. Yes. Yeah. That's such a great example. So where are other ways that you see payoffs or or dividends for generosity? What happens when you give to people and you either give them permission or give them an opportunity and reward them, if you will, by recognizing them or giving them the opportunity to present in front of an executive team for the first time is they then recognize that you're supporting them and you have their back and they're willing to go that extra mile and apply discretionary effort to succeed not only for themselves, but for you, for the team, for the organization. And so that's in HR world, we call that, you know, engagement, engagement levels and sustainable engagement is driven by how much discretionary effort am I going to put into my job? Obviously there's the job that you do when people come to work and they clock in and they clock out and they do the work and it's all fine. But that discretionary piece is really the sustainable engagement. It's what you said. It's Do I feel like somebody at work cares about me? Do I feel like somebody at work recognizes my work? Does somebody value me? Do I have team members I can confide in? It's all of those pieces are the discretionary. And so when you're in a generous environment where people feel like they're fully supported, that return on that extra engagement is huge. And people will always say, and it's been studied a million different ways, that people don't leave jobs they leave managers and they leave leaders Mm -hmm. because what's missing is that piece where they feel like their discretionary effort is recognized and valued. Mm -hmm. And so to me, that is a reward in and of itself is applying a little bit of discretionary effort on the leader side of just letting people know you're valued, you're appreciated, giving them opportunities, giving them empowering them to do more comes back tenfold because people are motivated by that and inspired by that, especially high-performing people. Yes. Over and over again. I mean, we talk about pay for performance. I have a compensation background. The statistics are there. 
But the highest performing people in any organization, if you ask them why they stay at their job, they will never say it's because I'm getting paid a lot of money. They will always say it's because of the challenging work, the great people, the support that I get, the recognition of my value. And that's about generous leaders who are willing to invest time and support them. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. I love that you brought it back to that. It is good business, right? It's the right thing to do. And it's the kind thing to do. It's also the smartest thing to do for bottom line benefits whatever your intent is. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty yeah. open to that as yeah. long as we're being generous. <laughs> the motive isn't as important to me as the generosity. Yeah. And you're just bringing up another point of why it's so beneficial. So on the point of generosity, you are responsible for diversity, equity, and inclusion at Coca-Cola. Can you talk to us about some of the insights and awareness that you've gained or that you've been attentive to? And in particular, the anti-Asian racism that's been going on in the world. Sure. So again, this past year was a difficult one for a lot of reasons, but certainly not insignificantly the social justice issues that we experienced in this country. And for us as an organization, it was a defining moment of us sort of understanding how we needed to respond to our employees in our community who were really hurting. And so from a diversity, equity, and inclusion standpoint, what we tried to do was really give people the space to talk about how they were feeling. We had these stand as one town halls where we just brought people together and and had discussions and conversations. We encouraged people to create their own communities to share how people were feeling. We had a group of employees. Remember, this was in the May-June timeframe, so the pandemic was in its early days. And they self-arranged a march to the Capitol in support of the passage of the hate crimes bill. And it was a challenging moment for us as a company, because given the health and safety concerns that we had, we were very concerned about encouraging people to do that. But this group of very passionate employees came to us and said, we're going to do it regardless of whether the company supports us, but we want you to know that we think it's important. And so we said, got it. And so we stepped in and tried to provide as much support as we could. We provided masks and waters. We gave our building was closed, so they couldn't go to the building. We had parking for them. We tried to have security escorts so they could be safe. And we had hundreds of employees in the middle of this pandemic that marched to the Capitol to support the passage of this hate crimes bill. What we did as an organization was we really took stock of, in a moment of crisis, actions mean more than words. So while we can say in our purpose statements and everything else that we support a diverse and inclusive environment, our actions speak louder than words. So being able to support our people in that effort, offering the town halls and offering opportunities to do these things was extremely important. We also stood up a social justice agile team of people, a cross-section of employees throughout the business who came together to advise us on how we should respond, what we should do, what do our employees need. And so I think that was another thing that happened. And then most recently, because it seems like, you know, no group is untouched, what's happening to the Asian American community is is just tragic. And it's been going on for so long. You and I touched briefly about the fact that when I was in college over 30 years ago, my thesis was about the representation of Asians in media. And I reflected at that time on the brutal murder of Vincent Chen, who was the Detroit auto worker that was beat to death 
by the auto workers because they mistook him to be Japanese. And at the time, there was a lot of concern about jobs of American auto workers being taken away by Japanese. You know, fast forward to where we are today, very little has changed. The challenge for the Asian community is, you know, you've heard all these descriptions, the model minority, you've heard kind of all these things where it's not culturally ingrained that you make a lot of noise. It's a stereotype, but Asians are typically taught to put your head down and just do your work and not raise a lot of noise, not try to cause controversy. And so I think there is a struggle right now. And it is it is a group of people that is suffering in silence. And so what I would want the listeners to understand is that every Asian American is suffering one way or another. I was just speaking to a colleague the other day, and she shared with me something that had happened in a meeting a year and a half ago when a racial slur was used, an Asian racial slur was used in a meeting. And I was horrified. And her comment to me was, you know what, I've just developed such thick skin about it right now. I mean, obviously, I was uncomfortable at the moment. But she said it happens all the time. I mean, this is 2021. Mm. It should not be happening, right? And so what I think we have to do as a community, and certainly me as an Asian American leader, is we have to stand up and we have to give the voice to this group of of people who don't feel like they have a voice because it's still going on. You've known me a long time. I was born in this country, was raised in Southwest Virginia. I'm about as American as you can get. And still to this day, I get comments about where am I from? Your English is really good. How long have you been here? You know, have you been to China lately? And, and, you know, do you have the virus? I mean, literally, these are questions people have asked my children. This is sad to them, even admitting this. But my, my son, who goes to a school here in Atlanta, one of his friends did ask. His, his parents wanted to know if he had been to China recently, because if so, they were concerned about him being at school. And I said to him, you need to tell him that not only have you never been to China, because my family's from Taiwan, your parents have never been to China. We all have to to be more vocal about, we obviously have to support our community. But when it comes to diversity, equity, inclusion, these are the conversations we need to have. We need to raise them to the forefront and we need to be in a place where we can have courageous conversations about how these comments make people feel. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, thank you so much for sharing that, Lisa. And what this is reminding us of is how we have to stand in the void. We have to be unified in how we're going to be a part of the solution because the individual who's being treated that way in the meeting can't be the person who's correcting that behavior. It has to be other members of that group, just like it is anytime we see any other injustice. So this is a call to action for all of us to speak up and say something. And if we're not aware, yeah, yeah, we have to be allies. And if we're not aware of how deep rooted this problem is, we've got to learn. Yeah. I know everyone here knows a colleague, coworker, or a friend that's of Asian descent. Just pick up the phone and ask them how they're doing. And if they've experienced anything recently that is troubling to them that they'd want to talk about. Mm-hmm. My friend Tyree here called me last week. And just said, I'm just checking on you. How are you? Mm. It means a lot when someone just picks up the phone and says, I see you. I recognize what you're going through. How can I help? Mm. Absolutely. How can I help? How can I listen and better understand? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much, Lisa. Thank you for being who you are. 
as my friend and as the person you are in the world, I'm so deeply grateful for you. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Sheridan Global Podcast, Brilliance Realized, Generosity in the Workplace. Please subscribe and rate us on your favorite podcast platform. Check out our other series and stay generous, everyone.